All right, what's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And today we're going to do a teaching called The Gates of Hell. It's going to be called The Gates of Hell. Now, the reason why I'm going here tonight is not because I want to talk about scary or spooky things or destructive things, but you know, as I do in so many teachings at times, I want people to wake up and have an understanding, hey, Sister Naima, that, you know, the Christian's life, you know, is one that I think is a serious life. I think it is a, a joyous life. I think it's a peaceful life. I think that it is a life that God has called us to walking in a very different life than we live today. Hey, Sister Tara and Sister Sarah. Well, Sister Sarah is actually here helping out, you know, with uh, some of the background stuff today, because as we talk about the gates of hell, we're going to be talking about quite a few things, you know, even concerning um, what's going on in the world, what we can expect, what the future holds and what this whole thing is about. Okay. So this isn't going to be any different than any other teaching. We're going to let it all hang out. We're going to make the saints aware of the things that the Bible says and hopefully put more emphasis on the words of Jesus. But when you think of gates of hell, we heard Jesus use that term, but we gotta really say to ourselves, what does it really mean? What did he mean? Was he talking about the entrance to hell, you know, that's in hell? Or was he talking about another place? Was he talking about a portal? Was he speaking of another dimension? Hopefully we're gonna get to tackle that tonight because what Jesus says is so funny how we might look at some of the words that he has and it seems like it's pretty poetic and you know, yeah, that's nice. And you know, yeah, gates of hell. But no, I mean, you know, Jesus was way ahead of his time. I mean, Jesus sits outside of time. So his words are timeless. They're going to be, you know, even today, you know, very relevant. And I'm gonna read a couple of things. We got a few videos, a few articles. But I'm also going to read a few things out of uh, the book of Jasher and the book of Enoch. Why? Because I believe they're relevant. Will I call them scripture? No. But we must remember at the Council of Nicaea, they determined what was and what wasn't. Now, I'm not going to make that argument tonight, but I am going to go into certain places to make certain points. I do believe that the book of Enoch and the book of Jasher were references that God allowed to be used, that they would be able to um, put light on certain stories in the Bible that I believe that the Bible didn't have time to cover them all, okay? And I'm gonna show people, if you guys uh, look real quick with me before we go into prayer, because I don't wanna hear anybody's mouth about me not being scriptural and me bringing up heresy. So I just wanna make a couple of quick points in the word of God so that you guys can see it for yourself when we go there. So if you guys look at Joshua chapter 10, we are going to go into prayer, but let's let's look at Joshua 10. Okay, and let's look at verse 12. Okay, Joshua 10 and 12. It says here, then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. 
And then it says, and the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about the whole day. So the book of Jasher itself is just a reference, okay? It's just, it's called the book of the upright one. The Hebrews, you know, the Israelites would have been well aware of this book because it put emphasis on the things already concerning the scriptures, okay? So when you look at that, I wanna go to another place real quick. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter one. Second Samuel chapter one, and let's look at verse 17. Okay, so second Samuel one and 17, it says, and David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Now, like I said, the book of Jasher is the book of the upright one. So I just brought forward this point that the Hebrews would understand that, you know, or people would understand before calling me a heretic, that these things were done. They were done of the Hebrews. They knew about this, okay? And I wanna go to another place real quick, okay? Because this is also going to be relevant tonight. Let's go to um, Jude, Jude 1. And this is concerning the book of Enoch. Jude 1. And we're going to look at verse 14, Jude 1 and 14. And it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, some people will say, okay, well, where did Enoch actually say this in the word of God? Now, this is the book of Jude. This is the brother of Jesus. I'm not calling the book of Enoch scripture, but the book of Enoch was a reference that was used that people would have an understanding of. Those people of that time knew what it meant. I'm going to even show you guys in the book of Enoch what this means, because when we get into the gates of hell and we talk about everything that's on the other side, hey, Brother Frederick, and everything that is coming through, man, we better be prepared. We better have our minds right. We better get right with Jesus while there is time, because the things of our worst nightmares are going to come to life and they will come about. Now, we are going to always incorporate this with the word of God, with scripture, because there are many scriptures that are referencing this. But you're going to see that everything that is expected in the end will have so much to do with what went on in the beginning. So I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to get into scripture and I want to get right into this lesson as we talk about the gates of hell. Because one thing we're going to find is that these people of the world are very serious. And we're also going to see that Satan himself has a seed. And I know some people will say to me, Man, why don't you just preach the gospel? Why do you even waste your time with this sort of thing? But one of the reasons why I go there is because I believe that people need a good sobering up to the realities of what is that they may put their hopes and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so um, hey, Sister Melissa. So let's pray, and we're going to get right into this lesson. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord God, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters, that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, that we may choose life and not death. And we just pray, Lord God, for the comforter. We pray for the Holy Ghost. We pray for he that is meant to bring us into all truth and righteousness. We pray, Lord God, tonight that you speak, that your words will be heard. We pray, Lord, that they bring forth life, that they pierce the heart, that they take the fogginess of mind away, Lord, that your people may be sober and vigilant and understand what you want them to know, that we won't be fallen in these coming days. And I just pray, Lord, let no man's heart be heard in this teaching. We pray, Lord God, that no flesh be glorified, but only by your spirit, Lord, that we will receive all that you want us to, that your people may get the victory in you this day. And we just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of feared out and unbelief. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay, that you cast him out like the dog that he is, that your people may get the victory in you this day. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord God, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So let's get right into this lesson. I wanna begin in Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at Matthew 16 as we talk about the gates of hell. Matthew 16, and we're going to begin at verse one. Because you see the Pharisees themselves would have been a sort of self-righteous people that desired a lot of things from Jesus. They wanted Jesus to perform for them. They wanted Jesus to do all these things and come up to their level or their standards. But you see, the whole thing is Jesus never preached the gospel to people that he intended to be ignorant or not to know anything. He always wanted them in the place that they may be able to see and tell where they are, that they may know what to do in the coming days. Hey, Sister Latoya. So look at Matthew 16, guys, and we are going to look at verse one. It says the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, desiring, desired him that he would shew them a sign from heaven. So you see the Pharisees are very much like their father who is the devil, that you know the devil wanted Jesus, if you be the son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. So as you can see, these people are tempting Jesus and they want Jesus to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, when is it when it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, 
ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? He says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and departed. So Jesus is pretty much letting us know that he has given us everything that we need. When you read the word of God, the word of God works in a type of prophetic sense where it wants you and I to get to the place where we can be able to discern what the Lord God has said. Now, you know, the Bible makes very clear what the last days would be like. And all you and I have got to do is tune in and just, I mean, read the word of God and say, you know what? I believe the last times are upon us. So he's given us everything that we need to be sober that we may see where we are. But he says a wicked and adulterous generation, they seek after a son. In other words, guys, when you say, like, let's just say the information I'm gonna bring forward tonight about the destruction of the earth, or let's just say about the gates of hell. And people may get a lot of information concerning this. And you know what the question they'll ask you is next? Okay, so when is this gonna happen? You know, show me exactly when this is going to happen. Why do they do this? Because it's not that they wanna take God's word at face value and say, hey, the word says it, and this is what we must prepare for. Those people wanna know how much time have I got to cheat on God? How much time have I got to fool around? How much time have I got to do this and that before I give my life to the Lord? So this is pretty much what people do. They wanna know when you hear about, you know, and you got a lot of books being sold on prophecy and the end times and all these things because of what? People wanna know how much time they've got to fool around. So what do all these authors and these people do? They make suckers of you. They make merchandise of you because they can tell you, oh, when you guys see the eclipse, man, the end is coming. All these things are going on. And what do people do? Go out and buy books. You know, watch all these videos, try and get as much information as they can. And the reason for that is because a lot of these people are cheating on God. So they can easily be sold these false prophecies and all these different things. But you see a real person that is of Christ, that desires to pursue Jesus Christ is going to be one that's gonna listen to his word and look around him and see, okay, Lord, what you said is true. And I see it coming to pass today. Hey, Sister Teresa. So anyway, let's continue. So Jesus is calling them wicked and adulterous and they're not gonna get any sign other than Jesus Christ dying, being buried and being resurrected. Hey, Brother Joseph. So he says, look at verse five. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread. So Jesus told them to beware of the doctrine of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's uh, Matthew 16, Sister Teresa, and we're in verse five. So it's making clear here, Jesus wanted them, hey, their leaven, their unbelief, their, their um, unwillingness to follow the word, 
beware of, okay? Because a lot of people today are caught up in the carnal mind and carnal desires, and they can only believe the word of God to a degree. Then you'll find people will try and have like a spiritual understanding of the word, and then all of a sudden, they'll go carnal. Why? Because their minds won't allow them to go any farther than their faith. But Jesus is saying, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the people of his disciples are thinking, man, it's, it's because we brought no bread. He's telling us to beware. He's not talking about the leaven of bread. He's talking about false doctrine in the midst that can keep a person from believing. Look at verse nine. He says, do ye not understand neither, um, uh, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000? and how many baskets he took up, uh, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many baskets he took up. How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? So what Jesus was making clear, you remember when he fed the mass of 5,000, they might've been in a desert place with not much, but the Lord made clear, and they said in the gospels that there were 12 baskets full, okay? 12 is a number for God's government. So that means that no matter where we are, no matter what we go through, no matter what we have to do, if we are in God's perfect government, which is 12, okay? Like we have 12 disciples, 12 months in a year, 12 parts day, 12 parts night, 12 tribes of Israel, 24 elders around the throne of God. That's God's government, okay? But the point is, is when they put their trust in Jesus, they followed after him, they believed on him, they had 12 baskets full. And it was so funny how no matter how much they ate, the baskets remained full. This is how it is when we put our trust in the Lord, he will meet every single need that we have. But he says, about the 4,000 um, and the seven loaves, what was it then? It was seven baskets full. What is seven? Seven is a number for the spirit. If you look in the book of Revelation, it shows you, I mean, there are countless numbers of sevens that are in this Bible and all of them relating to spiritual judgment, spiritual things, things concerning God. So if we are in God's spirit, we are in God's perfect government. And the Holy Ghost will guide you and I in the confines of Jesus Christ, giving us faith that we can believe on him to meet every single need. This is going to be very important as I continue in this teaching. But you understand, one is 12. That's the number of government. One is seven. That is the number of the spirit. That is God's perfect government for you and I and for all those who believe and put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Then understood they how that he bade them not, this is verse 12, beware of the leaven of the bread, uh, beware of the leaven of the bread, um, but of the doctrine, uh, not to beware of the leaven of the bread, uh, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am the son of, who the, say that I, the son of man am? Verse 14, and they said, some said that thou art John the Baptist, 
some Elias and others Jeremiah's or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So what is Jesus? He's the Christ, he's the Messiah, his sister Julia. So Peter hit it right on the head. Lord, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the one that has come to, lib to uh, liberate us from our captivity that we may have true salvation. So it says, uh, verse 17, and Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So let's understand this because there's a lot of crazy doctrine out there calling that the church was built on Peter. How can the church be built on Peter? And when you go to Galatians 2 and 11, Peter is still having problems with racism and other things like that. He called Peter, okay, a rock. He changed his name. Why? Because it was a rock on the faith of believing that Jesus was the Christ. So he says, upon that faith of believing on Jesus, that he is the Christ, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, you know, about 2000 years ago, those words wouldn't have meant much because when you hear about gates of hell, you're like, man, you know, that just sounds like, you know, that the devil is going to come and do what he does. But later on, Jesus gives us the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end of the Bible, which explains to us what the gates of hell are. Now, Steve Quell said this years ago, and this is one of the few things I actually agree with what he said, but he said that you would have a gate to hold something in or to keep something out. So when we look at gates, the Lord is speaking of a literal gate, but what do these gates mean? Now, you got guys like Steve Quayle and Tom Horn that have done their homework for years, and they mentioned the term stargates and all of these different things, how there are literal portals, okay, that we believe that these entities come on through. And um, these men have been trying to work with these things for some time. Man has been trying to get behind the veil for some time. Man's been trying to, you know, he's been deceived by spirits to try and see what's back there. And, you know, these things are, are eventually going to come through. So hopefully I'm making sense right now because I know this is a lot for people that might have just tuned in. But what we're going to be talking about are these gates of hell. What did Jesus mean? What was he referring to? But one thing I want people to know is, regardless of what I bring forward tonight, Jesus himself never left us defenseless, never left, left us without a God, without a comforter. He never gave us, I mean, he never left us with no weapons. Okay, so everything that we're going to be talking about tonight, Jesus has given us what we need to be able to overcome. So look at verse 19. And Jesus says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So as you can see, Jesus is saying when he gave them the keys, 
He was talking about giving us, every single believer, those who know the Lord, his authority. So when we bind a force on earth, be it demonic or, you know, giants or whatever, that they will be bound in heaven. So it would be if you and I were to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ and we bind a particular demon or proclaim judgment on it, that in heaven, God would grant his authority. And this is like the greatest authority that you can have to walk in the spirit and be able to bring God's kingdom here on the earth. So let's get into this teaching. I just wanted to bring forward this point about the gates of hell, because this is what we're going to be contending with. This is what we're going to be fighting with. This is what scientists have been staying up late at night, you know, working on for years upon years, because man's dream was to make it into the heavens ever since the beginning. And whose dream was that? That was Lucifer's dream. If you go to um, Isaiah 14 and 12, Satan had always vowed when he was kicked out of the heavens, he said, you know, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of the most high. I will sit also upon the congregation of the sides of the north. I will sit above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So you found that he found a people in the earth vision, his dream, that he would make his way one day back into the heavens to fight against God. So this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about CERN. We're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel. We're going to be talking about all these things that men have tried and men are still trying, and God had to raise a standard against. So I'm just telling people what we need to prepare for, how we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ. We need to go forward with him so that we can do what he says. What a delusional being. <laughs> Satan himself. You said you're right, uh, Sister Julia. So I want to get right in, guys. Um, I want to go to Genesis chapter 11. Okay, Genesis chapter 11. Then I'm going to read two articles um, or to you guys, and then we're going to really get in. But there's a lot of information to bring forward tonight. But I want to go to Genesis chapter 11, chapter 11, and we're going to read the book of Jasher also to put more emphasis on this story so that we may have a real understanding. Because there was more that went on at the Tower of Babel than the Bible said. So look at Genesis 11, and we're going to begin at verse 1 as we talk about the gates of hell. So it says, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So you see right now, this story doesn't sound like too much. They just wanted to build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. We know it was against God. It wasn't God's original plan. But look at verse five. It says, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. 
And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So God is making clear here that if they were given the chance to finish their mission, they no doubt would have broken behind the veil and attempted to fight against God. This is something that man still dreams of, a world without God. John Lennon sang a song back in 1970-something, I believe it was, or even 1980, and I believe it was called Imagine. And what did John Lennon sing in that song? Imagine no possessions, imagine no heaven, imagine no hell below us, above us only sky. And what did he say? Imagine all the people living together in one, but it would be one against God, not one for God. So as you can see, the devil is still promoting the same dream and same vision, even way back from the Tower of Babel until now. He wants to get man in a place to fight against God, to join up with his army so that God can destroy him. I don't think he believes he's gonna win, but if he can turn God's people against God, you know, then he's done his job. So anyway, it says, verse seven, go to, let us go down there, confound their language, and that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the whole earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So when you look at that, it doesn't sound like much. It doesn't sound like you get much of it. They wanted to build a tower. They wanted to get into heaven. God confounded their languages and the people just stopped building and move on. Now we're gonna to go to the book of Jasher. If anybody uh, misunderstands why I'm reading out of the book of Jasher, when this teaching starts over or it's uploaded, go back to the beginning. But I'll show you in two places in the Bible where the book of Jasher is referenced, okay? It's important that we get an understanding of the full story and what went on here with the Tower of Babel because you're gonna find much of what they are doing today is the same thing. And once again, guys, I can feel the demonic forces fighting against my mind. So please be in prayer for me because lately they don't like what we bring these days. And rightfully so, because any damage that's gonna be done to the devil's kingdom, he's gonna fight to protect it. If I'm on here talking about grace and mercy, he could care less. But because you start to expose the dark side and the things that the devil wants to bring forward, he wants to fight. So look at uh, the book of Jasher. Well, actually you guys may not see it, but this is the book of Jasher chapter nine. Okay, and um, it says, this is uh, you know verse one, you guys aren't gonna be able to follow along, but if you have a book of Jasher, you can actually pull this up in sacred text and it's in the Apocrypha. So look up the book of Jasher chapter nine in the sacred text, and you should be able to follow along with me. It's just an act. So it says in the first verse, and Haran, the son of Terah, Abraham's oldest brother took a wife in those days. Haran was 39 years old when he took her and the wife of Haran conceived and bare a son 
and he called his name Lot. Now, you know that this is biblically sound. You know, this is exactly how Lot came to be. The Bible tells us this in Genesis chapter 10. And she conceived again and bare a daughter, and she called her name Milcah, and she again conceived and bare a daughter, and her and she called her name Sarai. We know that this Sarai was eventually Sarah. So yes, Abraham and Sarah were like half cousins, okay, or married in, but they are somewhat related, but God was okay with that. That doesn't mean that you can go and commit incest today. God had a purpose concerning Abraham and Sarah. Hey, brother Sal. So it says in verse four, Haram was 42 years old when he begat Sarah, or Sarah, which was in the 10th year of the life of Abram. And in those days, Abram and his mother and, I mean, and nurse uh, went out from the cave as the king and his subjects had forgotten about the affair of Abram. Now, one thing we need to understand, because I want to bring some clarities to this story, that Abraham became a threat to Nimrod's kingdom when Abraham was born. Abraham's story is very much like Jesus Christ. When there was a prophecy that Abraham was going to come, um, that somehow the devil knew that God was going to work with Abraham. Okay, there was a prophecy put in the land. So what did Terah, Abraham's father, do? was hide Abraham away from Nimrod because Nimrod wanted to kill him. Now, you know that Jesus is of the lineage of Abraham as well. So as you can see, the devil tried to stop, you know, the life of Jesus Christ being brought forward even way back then. So it says, look at verse five. And when Abram came out from the cave, he went to Noah and his son Shem, and he remained with them to learn of the instruction of the Lord and his ways, and no man knew where Abram was. And Abram served Noah and Shem, his son, for a long time. Now, you know, this makes sense. So it's making clear here that Abraham knew Shem and he knew Noah, because after all, they were the only people that were upholding righteousness. So God sent Abraham to them. Shem and Noah did live long enough after the flood that they would know Abraham. Okay, so anyway, it says in the sixth verse, and Abraham was in Noah's house 39 years, and Abram knew the Lord uh, from three years old, and he went in the ways of the Lord until the day of his death, as Noah and his son Shem had taught him. And all the sons of the earth in those days greatly transgressed against the Lord, and they rebelled against him, and they served other gods. And they forgot the Lord who had created them in the earth and the inhabitants of the earth made unto themselves. At that time, every man his God, gods of wood and stone, which could neither speak, uh, hear, nor deliver. And the sons of men served them and they became their gods. So as you can see, Noah was the only righteous person after the flood, his son Shem, and of course, Abraham. But you see here that the whole earth had, had transgressed and went their own way and began to do their own things. Once again, guys, if you're going to follow me in the book of Jasher, read, it's called the Sacred Text Apocrypha. It's an app. I mean, like if you uh, Google that, it will pull it up and you'll see the uh, book of Jasher chapter nine. Thank you, uh, Sister Tara.
So anyway, it says here, and the king and all his servants and terror uh, with all his household were then the first of those that served gods of wood and stone. And Terah had 12 gods of large size made of wood and stone after the 12 months of the year. And he served each one monthly and every month Terah would bring his meat offering and drink offering to his gods. Thus did Terah all the days. So Terah himself, uh, who was Abraham's father, was an idol worshiper. And he was serving other gods, worshiping Nimrod, Looking at verse nine, and all that generation were wicked in the sight of the Lord, and they thus made every man his God, but they forsook the Lord who had created them. And there was not a man found in those days in the whole earth who knew the Lord, for they served each man his own God, except Noah and his household, and all those who were under his counsel knew the Lord in those days. Now, as you can see, this is just before, okay, Brother Mark, this was just before the Tower of Babel. So now you see why everybody was on one accord to build this tower. They were all transgressing. transgressing. They all forgot the Lord and they all began to worship other gods. Why is this significant? Because when we talk about CERN and the Hadron Collider later, notice that this has come up in the new millennium but this is also a time where people are forgetting the Lord, serving other gods, doing their own things. And, you know, Hadron Collider, which you can pretty much call it the gates of hell. You can even call the, the Tower of Babel here the gates of hell. But the thing here is people have lost their faith in the earth. People are no longer following the God of the Bible. OK, they're all serving other gods. So let's continue in verse 11. And it, uh, I believe that's where I am. Yes, in verse 11, and Abram, the son of Terah, was waxing great in those days in the house of Noah, and no man knew it, and the Lord was with him. And the Lord gave Abram an understanding heart, and he knew all the works of that generation were vain, and that all their gods were vain, and there were no, and there were, uh, of no avail. So this is the one of the first things that happens, guys. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to start slow tonight, but I must make these points. When you and I get saved, the first thing that God shows us is that our false gods are gods in vain. That means they're empty. They've got nothing, no substance. So the first thing God gave to Abraham was an understanding heart. And then he showed Abraham throughout the world, all these false gods that all of them were valueless, that all of them meant absolutely nothing, that there was nothing that can profit a man except Jesus Christ is what we think about today. But I'm just bringing it into modern terms. Look at verse 13. And Abram saw the sun shining upon the earth. And Abram said unto himself, surely now this sun that shines upon the earth is God and him will I serve. And Abram served the sun in that day and he prayed to him. And when evening came, the sun set as usual, and Abram said within himself, surely this cannot be God. And Abram still continued to speak within himself, who is he who made the heavens and the earth? Who created upon earth, where is he? And the night darkened over him. 
and he lifted up his eyes towards the west, north, south, and east, and he saw that the sun had vanished from the earth, and the day became dark. And Abram saw the stars and moon before him, and he said, surely this is the God who created the whole earth as well as man. And behold, these his servants are gods around him. And Abram served the moon and prayed to it all that night. And in the morning, when it was light and the sun shone upon the earth as usual, Abram saw all the things that the Lord God had made upon the earth. And Abram said unto himself, Surely these are not gods that made the earth and all mankind. Uh, uh, but these are the servants of God. And Abram remained in the house of Noah and there knew the Lord and his ways. And he served the Lord all the days of his life and all that generation forgot of the Lord and served other gods of wood and stone and rebelled all their days. So Abram got ready to worship. Hey, Sister Tatiana, Abram got ready to worship the sun and the stars and all that. But Abram said, you know what I realized? These are just the servants of the Lord. You know, Abraham has actually got more sense than NASA. You know, they're trying to tell you that these are planets and all this stuff. Don't make me go there tonight. But I just want to bring forward the point. Even Abram knew, man, these are nothing more than the servants of the Lord. So what did he do? He turned to the Lord in uh, Noah's house, in Shem's house, and he learned the ways of the Lord. Now, here we go, guys. I haven't forgotten about the Tower of Babel, but I just wanted to give everybody understanding before this tower was even constructed. Abram served the Lord. His dad himself was an idol worshiper, okay? And all of the earth worshiped other gods. They were not serving the true God. That's why the devil is trying to remove the spirit of Jesus Christ off of the world today. So that way he can go right back to his sinister plan in opening the gates of hell. Look at this, verse 20. And King Nimrod reigned securely and all the earth was under his control and all the earth was of one tongue uh, and words of union. And all the princes of Nimrod and his great men took counsel together. You have Foot there, Mitzrayim, Cush, and Canaan uh, with their families. And they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city and in it a strong tower and its top reaching heaven. And we will make ourselves famed so that we may reign upon the whole earth in order that the evil of our enemies may cease from us that we may reign mightily over them and that we may not become scattered over the earth on account of their wars. So we understand that the people here had a dream that they wanted to deal with their issues themselves and they wanted to be rulers over their enemies. But if you look at the fact that Foot is here, Mitzrayim, Cush, and Canaan, this is the seed of Ham. This is biblically accurate. Who are the people of foot? They are the Libyans. Who is Mitzrayim? That is the Egyptians. Who is Cush? Those are the Ethiopians. And those of Canaan were of those of the land of Jerusalem, okay, the Canaanites. But let's, let's look at this in verse 22. And they all went before the king, and they told the king these words. 
And the king agreed with them in this affair, and he did so. And all the families assembled, consisting of about 600,000 men, and they went to seek an extensive piece of ground to build the city and the tower. And they sought in the whole earth, and they found none like one valley at the east of the land of Shinar, about two days walk, and they journeyed there, and they dwelt there. And they began to make bricks and burn fires to build the city and the tower that they have imagined to complete. So as you can see, guys, this whole thing right here is on line with scripture with Genesis 11. We're just getting more understanding of the story that took place. So it says, verse 25, and the building in the tower was unto them a transgression and a sin, and they began to build it. And while they were building against the Lord God of heaven, they imagined in their hearts to war against him and to ascend into heaven. So right away, you see two of the five I wills of Satan being planned that he wanted to get his way into the heaven and dethrone God. What you're seeing here in the book of Jasher is the same account. Now, as they imagine to build this tower to make themselves great, they began to imagining, imagine themselves fight against God. And we're gonna see why that Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland is over there. And you got all these things taking place because this is the same imagination of man, no God, no God to serve, no morals. I can just live my life as I see fit. That's what the elite powers of this world are doing today. They believe firsthand through the lying words of Lucifer that if they open this portal and they allow the devil himself to come through in physical form, because they believe he's Lucifer, he hasn't shown them his true self, but they believe that if they listen to him, he's going to help them live forever, never die, fight their way into the heavens and control the cosmos. So he's given them also a plan of eternal life. And I'm sure he did the same thing for Nimrod and his men. He promised them, guys, man, you don't have to see judgment of God. I'm gonna teach you how to conquer death. So this is why they wanted to tear through the veil to dethrone God so they would never have to deal with him. Look at this, verse 26. And all these people and all the families divided themselves in three parts. The first said, we will ascend into heaven and fight against him. So their whole desire was to fight against God. The second said, we will ascend into heaven and place our own gods there and serve them. And the third part said, we will ascend into heaven and smite him with bows and spears. And God knew all their works and all their evil thoughts. And he saw the city and the tower which they were building. And when they were building, they built themselves a great city and a very high and, and strong tower. And on one account of its height, uh, the mortar and bricks did not reach the builders in their ascent to it until those who went up had completed a full year. And after that, they reached to the builders and gave them the mortar and the bricks. Thus was it done daily. So what we're looking at here, guys, they're saying that this tower was so big, it was so huge that it would take a brick one year 
to make it from the bottom onto the top to where they were building and they still weren't done. So anyway, it says in verse in, in uh, 27, and when they were building, they built themselves a great city. Oh, I read that part. Look at 28. And behold, these ascended and others descended the whole day. And if a brick should fall from their hands and get broken, they would all weep over it. And if a man fell and died, none of them would look at him. So the reason why I think that this is really important is because one would have to ask, why are we building AI if we know the dangers of AI? Why are we even thinking about a Hadron Collider looking for the Higgs boson, which is a God particle, to break through to all that antimatter and dark matter that is so unstable that we wouldn't even be able to handle it? Why do you think that the people are doing this anyway? Because we must understand that man at this point has become insensitive. He has no feelings, no respect for life. You want to know why abortion is, is doing what it's doing? Why homosexuality is growing? No respect for human life. Hey, man, it's a woman's right to choose. So if you're going to kill your baby, you may as well go ahead and do it. Because after all, it's not real anyway. So you see, when the people begin to follow after Satan and not God, they become more beast-like and they have no respect for human life. So if a brick fell, the people would cry. But when it came down to, you know, um, when a brick fell, the people would cry. But if a man fell and died, oh, well, you know, that's how it is. Why? Because they were so possessed and had such a desire to get into heaven and fight against God that they could have cared less about man or anything else. So anyway, this is 29, and the Lord knew their thoughts and it came to pass when they were building, they cast their arrows towards the heavens and all the arrows fell upon them, filled with blood. And when they saw them, they said to each other, surely we have slain all those that are in heaven. For this was from the Lord in order to cause them to err and in order to destroy them from off the face of the ground. So God fooled them. When they shot arrows up, arrows came down with blood and they really thought that they were killing, you know, the heavenly host up there. Verse 30 says, but the, of, of verse uh, 31, and they built the tower and the city and they did this thing daily until many days and years were elapsed. And God said to the 70 angels who stood foremost before him, to those who were near to him saying, come, let us descend and confuse their tongues, that one man shall not understand the language of his neighbor, and they did so unto them. What's interesting here is, the Bible says that there were 70 angels, or not the Bible, the book of Jasher says that there were 70 angels. Now, there, there are linguists, those who study linguistics in this world will tell you that there were 70 original languages. Okay, you guys can look this up. So this ought to show you the validity of how true this story is. So what did they do? They confounded their languages. Okay, look at verse 33. And from that day following, they forgot each man his neighbor's tongue, and they could not understand to speak in one tongue. And when the builder took from the hands of his neighbor lime or stone 
which uh, he did not order, the builder would cast it away and throw it upon his neighbor that he would die. So when they were saying, all right, take up a break, because they didn't understand the language, they would say, okay, let it go. And people were dying and getting killed trying to build this thing because they couldn't understand each other. Verse 34 says, and they did so many days and they killed many of them in this manner. And the Lord smote the three divisions that were there and he punished them according to their works and designs. You know, the Lord, as I read this today, gave me understanding because I had read this many times and I didn't really get it until now. But the Lord says, okay, those who said, we will ascend to heaven and serve our gods came like apes and elephants. So in other words, for those who said they would go into heaven and have other gods, they became uh, animals or like beasts right there on the spot. Why? Because man without God is a beast. And those who said, we will smite other heaven with arrows, the Lord killed them. Uh, the Lord killed them, uh, one man through the hand of his neighbor. So they were killing each other, trying to fight against God. What does the Bible tell us? If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So they thought by fighting against God, they were gonna win. But what you see here is they ended up killing each other. And the third division of those who said, we will ascend into heaven and fight against him, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. So that was who we read about in Genesis chapter 11. They just got scattered abroad. But there were two thirds of these men that were killed off that wanted to fight against the Lord. So then anyway, it says, uh, let's see, uh, this is 36. And those who were left among them, when they knew and understood the evil which was coming upon them, they forsook the building and they also became uh, scattered upon the face of the whole earth. And they ceased building the city and the tower Therefore, he called that place Babel, but there the Lord confounded the language of the whole earth. Behold, it was at the east of the land of Shinar. And as, and as to the tower which the sons of men built, uh, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up one third part thereof. And the fire also descended from heaven and burnt another third. And the other third is left to this day and it is uh, of the part which was aloft, and its circumference is three days walk. So to go around this tower, it was so huge that it would take three days to get around. And many of the sons of men died in that tower, a people without number. So what we understand here is this was man's insane plan to fight against God, and they failed. Now that third part of the tower in history that was left, Alexander the Great and his forces came and destroyed. I promise guys, I'm going somewhere with this, but I wanted to give people an understanding of the insane mindset that these people who are building CERN have. Now, I don't know if you guys had ever um, heard of CERN, okay? But I'm gonna give you the definition of it if you've never heard of it and what it means. I should have had this ready, but you know.
Okay, so CERN itself means it's the European Organization for Nuclear Research. Okay, and then it says the name CERN is derived from the acronym uh, for a French uh, Conseil European Poor uh, La Research uh, Nuclear, I guess they're saying it in French, is a provisional body founded in 1952 with the mandate of establishing a world-class fundamental physics research organization in Europe. Okay, but it has, they, they have this Hadron Collider, which we're gonna read about in a minute, that intends to destroy all the things that are of God. They claim they're looking for the God particle. They wanna open up portals. They wanna understand how things are created and made. But what they're gonna do is destroy themselves if they don't get it. Now, the Bible is gonna tell us exactly what this thing is and what they're really up to. But first, I wanna play a video of a man who explains this because we don't have a lot of time right now to get into it from the Jasher story, but you guys look at this. Look at what this guy says, and hopefully he'll give some understanding. And I encourage people to research things, you know, as much as you can with everything that you learn, because I want you to be able to see it. I want you to be able to understand what this is. So, okay. Sister Sarah's gonna get the lights. I just wanna make sure that this thing is on. Yeah. Okay, Sister Sarah has the lights. Okay. And um, you guys listen to this. There's a man that's talking about this um, Hadron Collider and everything that the enemy is planning. All right, so. I'm going to get my big head out of the way again so that you guys can see this. All right. YouTubers, Pastor Bob NCC. Hey, I'm out here today. I drove down to uh, Folsom Lake, and I wanted you guys to see our great California drought for yourself. Uh, there's Folsom Dam right there, and as you guys can see, that dam is completely out of the water. All the way down, the bedrock that that dam is built on is completely out of the water. It's completely exposed. That dam is not holding back one drop of water. I'm at the edge of the lake right here. All we have is this little bit going across here. The boat dock is about two miles that way. That's where the boat dock is. The lake should probably go another five, six miles back up into this canyon. And this is the edge of it right here. This is all that's left of Folsom Lake. I wanted to talk to you guys for just a minute about CERN. And we've all heard about it. We all know what it is. But I just wanted to give you guys a couple of facts. 2015, the year that we're in right now, is called the year of illumination. And I know you guys know that that little G in the Masonic symbol, symbol, the Masonic symbol, stands for gateway. That's what it means. 
And the town that CERN was built on, one of the little towns within its 17-mile circumference, was actually called St. Genis Poli. And it, in Roman times, it was called Apollicum. The town and the temple that was built there were dedicated to Apollon. And some of the writings from that day say that there was actually a portal to the underworld at that location. One manuscript, instead of Apollon, it reads Apollo, which is the Greek god of death and pestilence, also what we know as the sun god or Satan. I want to read you something out of Revelations 9, 1 through 6. This is what it says. It says, and the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star, star far from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, as smoke of a gigantic furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth or any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which had not the seal of God on their foreheads. And to them was given that they should not kill them, but that they should torment them five months. And their torment was at the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days men shall seek death and not find it, and desire to die, but death will flee from them. People listen. There is no way when you read this narrative that this is a human army. It cannot be. Because first of all, a human army does not go in and start wiping people out, but yet not harm the grass or the trees or any green thing. Uh, I don't know, a, a battleground, when you've ever seen a battleground, it's everything in there, cinders. Look at Europe after World War II. Everything was just in rubble. Also, it says that they sting men who do not have the mark of God on their forehead. Men, a human army cannot distinguish one person from the other. They kill everybody. And for these beings to be able to distinguish between the two tells you that they're demonic. And not only that, it says they don't kill men. They torment them five months. Men desire to die, but they can't die. No human army could do that. So here we have, coming out of this pit, 200 million demonic beings. Now we go on to the sixth angel. Listen to this. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year, to slay a third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, I heard their number. Now you wonder why... The 200 million demonic beings are let loose first, and then their four commanders. This is the reason. I don't know how many of you have ever been in the military, but in the military, the troops always arrive first and are completely formed up before the commanders walk out. And the commanders walk out, and they survey their troops that are already formed up. Same thing here. People, listen. These four angelic commanders are some very wicked, very powerful, and very mean dudes. I mean, they kill a third of mankind, 2.3 billion people in the first wave. People, this is the end of days. 
It's the end of days. And I honestly believe, and some of you may not, and that's fine, but I honestly believe that CERN was given to these government officials by demonic entities. We all know that Adolf Hitler was dealing with demons clear back in Germany in the late 30s. He got a lot of his technology from demonic entities. And our governments are the same way today. I honestly believe that CERN is the tool that Satan is using to free these men or these beings. This earth is a great big magnetic ball. It's a prison. There are many, many scriptures in the Bible that talks about the bars of hell, the gates of hell, the stones. It is a prison. And this, by them being allowed to build this thing, and allowed to put it there so that when it st starts up and creates this little area that they can actually come through, I believe that that is what, what they're using. And I believe that God's allowing it, and that's what it means when he says he allows, the, he gives the angel the key to the bottomless pit. CERN, in 1999, they started to look for these axiom particles. And it says that uh, they wanted to find out the cortex-vertex experiments searching for this solar axiom. Axioms are hypothetical particles that are composed of dark matter. In order to find these, CERN used a, one of the most powerful magnets on Earth to try to create this huge magnetic field. That magnet was literally named Satan. And that's, that's a, an acronym for Solar Axiom Telescopic Antenna. The magnet was named Satan. Look at CERN. It's got the god Shiva dancing, the god of destruction dancing right at its gate. That is their symbol. People, I honestly believe that CERN is going to open up a gateway, a portal, to allow these 200 million demons to come into our time and space, into our reality and their four commanders with them. People, listen to me. This technology, CERN, I believe is demonic in origin, and it was built for a specific purpose. And the very fact that CERN was built and is here and is almost running at 99% of light speed right now tells me that we're living in the end of time. We see the things in place that could bring about the entire book of Revelation in one week. Look at that dam over there. Five years ago, five years ago, this water, was clear up to the top of that dam. They had to keep letting it out so it wouldn't run over the top. Five years of drop brought that down to absolutely nothing. People, we are living right now in the grace period. It's called the grace dispensation. And that is the time between the time Jesus died on the cross and the end of time when the, when the church will be taken out of here. All true born-again believers. Think of that water as time. Think of that water as time. All the time in this great grace period is just about up. It's right at the very, very end. There might be a small dribble left. People, if there's a dribble left, that's all that's left. The grace dispensation is almost over and all hell is about to break loose. You don't have to believe that. And and I, I could be wrong, but I feel it. 
millions of other born-again believers on this planet, they all know it. We know it. The end of time, the Lord's return is imminent. People listening, on the day that CERN gets cranked up and it's going full blast, and if that portal does open and those demons do come out, this earth will be forever changed. It will be absolute hell on earth. And that is the fifth and the sixth trumpet. I believe that the rapture of the church is the seventh trumpet. So when all these guys are going around stinging people and they can't sing up, we're going to see the beginning of this destruction and then be out of here. People, you do not want to be one of the people that those demonic scorpions get to sting because it's going to be so horrendous that you're going to wish to die, but you can't. You're going to seek death, but death will elude you. People, all hell is about to break loose on planet Earth. All hell is about to break loose. You don't want no part of it. You don't want no part of it. Listen, repent. Repent. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do, you will live on into eternity. If you don't, you won't. If you don't, most likely you're going to be killed in that first wave. The four angelic commanders kill a third of mankind. That's 2.3 billion people. People, time's up. There's just a small dribble left. It's up. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do, he will get you through these dark days ahead, and you will live on into eternity. If you don't, you won't. Think about it. You see how much time you got left? You have till the moment you take your last breath, because once you do, it is a done deal. Okay. We got a few points to bring forward because we're going to go to a few things. So let me just cut this off. Sorry. We got a few things to cover because that man just said a mouthful. And we're going to get into some other scriptures and talk about some other things. But he mentioned that in front of that Hadron Collider is the goddess Shiva. Now, some of you may not have seen what Shiva looks like. So. I'm here to show you this is what she looks like, okay? This is the goddess Shiva, which is supposed to be the goddess of destruction and transformation. You would have to ask yourself, if they're just scientists working over there, why would they have this thing in front of it? And these guys actually do a, a Shiva death dance or destruction dance where these men actually will do like these effeminate dances. And the only reason I didn't put it up is because I know they'll try and get me for some copyright mess, which I'm not playing that game any longer. Okay, but the whole point is that these things will actually, I mean, these men, before they even start work in the day, they'll do their dances going around in circles like feminine style dances to Shiva, the goddess of destruction. Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because I'm going to bring forward a couple of points. Here's another picture of Shiva, and then I'm going to show you something in a minute, okay? That's Shiva again. Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because you see, when we truly have like a practical understanding of what's happening, man, it's so easy at that point to put your trust in the Lord. Hey, Brother Jeff, 
and Brother Sal, Sister Julia. I think I uh, said hi to you guys. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's begin at verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. So we know he wasn't talking about the physical day of Jesus, but this being the last time, you know, we're in the last period, as that man says, of grace before we end up seeing the Lord and before all these things come to pass. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be, be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, why is verse three really important right now? I want us to think about this. When we read in the book of Jasher 9, what was happening with Abraham, he was the only faithful one, he, Noah, and Shem, and everybody else was out there worshiping other gods, right? Falling away, doing their own things, desiring to fight against God. Paul's making here in verse three, that let no man deceive you, for those days will not come, okay? Unless there come a falling away first or apostasy, and then the man of sin who we know is the Antichrist will be revealed. Hey, Brother Timotheus, he says, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, shewing himself that he is God. One thing we got to understand about the comparison between the Antichrist guys and Nimrod is this one thing. You know how you and I reference Jesus and it just seems like when you read the Bible in a godly sense that you see Jesus everywhere. You know that he was the angel that spoke to Manoah, you know, about Samson being born because they said we saw the face of the Lord. You know that he was the uh, the one, the captain of hosts that led Joshua and them into the wilderness when he had his sword drawn. And you know all these amazing things about Jesus simply by knowing what the gospels say about him, how he was before he came into the earth. Well, when these people look at Nimrod, okay, Nimrod was almost as influential as Jesus was. And I don't mean like he can be compared to him as who is better, no. I'm talking about the way that the occult world look at Nimrod. Nimrod is their Jesus. Okay, that's who they love. That's who they worship. That's who you see in front of the Catholic churches with a woman holding her little son, Tammuz. That's Nimrod and that's Semiramis that they call Mary. That's the unholy union, okay, that they have together. But Nimrod is so beloved. And all of these holidays that we worship and want to give to Jesus belong to him. So we're going to see that this whole thing is about Nimrod, about the Antichrist coming on the scene. He is going to be like Nimrod II. Now I'm going to show you guys a picture of a statue that's in Washington, D.C. called The Awakening. Okay? 
And this picture of the awakening is actually a statue in the ground. I mean, that is huge. That is humongous. Okay, I heard that they removed it or they put it someplace else because people started asking too many questions. But if you look at this statue, it's clear that our government or the powers that be are expecting something to resurrect. You see this? Here's another one, okay, of that statue. Then you guys look here, you'll see a beard, a face of a bearded man, you know? And if you look at Nimrod, every account of Nimrod or Zeus looks just like this, okay? So whatever this thing is, and he has one eye, and that's how they want it because Nimrod himself, I believe, had an injury and he had one eye. I mean, just look at how big this thing is. People can sit in the hands and, I mean, this thing is humongous. So you see, our governmental authorities are expecting something to happen. So these people are looking for their Nimrod, but I want to continue in 2 Thessalonians 2 as we get understanding as to what Paul is saying. So this Antichrist that's supposed to come will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God. Now, I believe that the spirit of Antichrist is already doing this. But then he says, remember ye not yet when I was with you that I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. That's the spirit of Antichrist. It's already working. But look at what he says. Only he who now, I mean, who now uh, letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, a lot of people have said that that's Michael. Some people have said it's the church. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will hold back this grace period and this destruction from coming on the earth until he be taken out of the way. So there was a time period where the Holy Spirit is interceding, get leading people to Christ, holding back the destructive side so that we can win souls to Jesus Christ. But there's going to come a point where the Holy Spirit himself will be taken out of the way. And I believe at that point, the gates of hell will be open. Now, we're going to see why this is so important, because I think because they have the technology and they have the Hadron Collider, one would think, well, because they found the Higgs boson, which is the God particle, that they can just slam atoms together and, you know, just pretty much open the portal and let the devil through. But we got to understand that I don't believe that the devil can come through right now, even if he wanted to, because the Holy Spirit of God is holding this back. And that's why you and I can't afford to take our salvation for granted. We really got to wear that armor and get built up in Christ because these things are coming to pass. Now, I'm going to let you guys see another video before we get in. But I just want to make this point, And then from there, you guys go to Revelation 9 and wait for me while I play this video, please. I just want to bring some more understanding. Okay, this is called the CERN Collider is unlocking the gates of hell. All right, so let's get this going. Get my head out of the way.
scientists have successfully restarted the Large Hadron Collider in an attempt to make history for the second time. Three years ago, the huge particle smasher uncovered the Higgs boson, an elementary particle that gives other particles mass. Now they hope a more powerful version of the collider might discover dark matter and even extra dimensions in space. So this morning I'm going to preach you a message about something that is happening right now while you're sitting in this auditorium. It's in CERN, Switzerland. Now you may not be aware of what's going on over there, but there's a thing over there that's called a Large Hadron Collider. And it is an accelerator. It accelerates particles and then brings them to the point of collision. So this Large Hadron Collider was started up just a few days ago and is still in the initial process of being brought online completely. You say, what in the world does something like that have to do with me and the Bible? It has a lot to do with you and the Bible. This is 2015. The church is dead and asleep. The only, the only way you, the, the only crowds you have in this country today are the crowds that are pumped up by rock and rap, and it's all about love, self-love, and positive attitudes, and you know, money and me, myself and I. I'm in love with me. I'm, up, I'm in love with myself, and I'm in love with I. And your wife says, "I know you are," and that's why I'm leaving. <laughs> that's the truth. You ought to write a book about 15 ways to love yourself. It'd sell like you wouldn't believe. Absolutely. That's all it is. It's a joke. It's just a big joke. You know that. It's just a big joke. All right. You've got the people to the point to where they can be moved emotionally, not intellectually, but emotionally. Anything stirs people today. They got crowd mentality. They got mob mentality. Can you imagine something that has created earthquakes? that has made apparitions appear, that you've got scientists warning, don't do this. You don't know what you're gonna unleash. Maybe there's a greater purpose in all of that that they're not even aware of. He's called Satan. Maybe he intends to bring chaos on this earth. Chaos. And you know the old thing? What's the, how's it, how does it go? Abel. What's the term? Order out of chaos? The earth is in a turmoil and it's blazing and burning and then the peacemaker shows up. To fit into the great deception that's coming and it's coming and it's about here right now. I mean a deception like this world has never known before. To fit into this great deception they can sure draw these men in to make them think that because they have reached this certain point in their scientific analysis that they're bringing in these spirit beings it'll make true believers out of them nasa said just a few days ago nasa they said just a few days ago that by the year 2020 that we will definitely come in contact with aliens beings from another planet now we're talking about scientists we're talking about Darwin's crowd. We're talking about the crowd that threw the Bible out and said it's old, archaic, anachronistic. It doesn't belong today. We're talking about that bunch. We're too smart for the Bible. We're scientists. Yet this crowd is saying that in just a few years that they're going to know that they know that they're going to come in contact with alien beings. I thought to myself, my, 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 my. 
you boys have you already have you always known that that you've got a certain date set but we were told when darwin's theory of evolution came out and became vogue that it would destroy the foundations of christianity and this old book that we hold in our hands this old outdated bible would no longer be relevant and a lot of people bought into it because after all darwin is scientific but it's an amazing thing now that 150 years later, we have some of the greatest scientists in the world that are becoming very religious. Because here they've got Shiva, they've got dances to Shiva, and they're definitely being connected with Shiva as they're finding things. Let me give you one example. In one of their collisions, when they collided these particles together, they saw things. They were apparitions. They didn't expect to see. They didn't fit in any model. They didn't fit anywhere. They were wrong, but they, they could not deny the reality of it. Something was going on inside there that they could not explain. And it was scary for them. For the scientist has his paper and pencil in his books, and if it doesn't fit in his paper and his pencil and his books, it's out the window. They don't understand. They have a hard time accepting the fact that there is a spirit world out there. That spirit world was created by a spirit being, an almighty, eternal, excellent being that is from everlasting to everlasting to put in me what I am today by the power of Almighty God and by the power of the new birth. I want you to think about what I'm saying. Stephen Hawking, and a theoretical physicist, has warned these people, you are about to open Pandora's box. And once you open Pandora's box, you cannot put Pandora, you cannot put back in what came out of that box. Remember, he's an atheist. He didn't believe in spirits. He believes that what they're liable to do here in CERN, Switzerland, is unleash the gates of hell on this earth. The reason I took you to Revelation is because in the ninth chapter of Revelation, what you just read, is the gate of hell. And what you think is an alien being is really a demon? There are no aliens out there, folks. Forget that stuff, okay? There's nothing out there. There's nothing up there. All these UFOs, spacecraft, flying saucers, all this stuff, that's all demonic. It's real, but it's demonic. It's not real like we understand reality, but it's really real. It's demonic. I see a great deception beginning to develop. That in their analysis and in their laboratories that they believe in, that they've got their heart and soul tied up in, little things begin to show up, stuff that they can't explain, that sucks them in to begin to understand, well, maybe this is, a, this is being affected, it's being acted upon by something that we don't understand completely. And this spirit being that comes from out there, that comes down to this world, they accept with open arms because they're willing to put Shiva out there dancing around in the cosmos and destroying and then bringing a new creation in. Here are these wise, smart, brilliant men. And they're willing to believe that there's something more than what can be measured in a microscope and can be put in a petri dish. That there's something going on, and you better believe there is. There's something going on. What would be a greater ruse than to use their science and their technology to suck them in to accepting some spirit being coming from somewhere up here, some alien, 
down to this earth and do it through a collider over here. This is as high technology I suppose you got on this earth. And do it through that and bring it down upon this earth and bring it into people. Now, here's one of the things about this. This 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 antimatter is also called dark matter. And dark matter has energy attached to it. And the energy affects people. It affects them. And remember, when you produce antimatter, you've got to contain it. Because if you don't contain it, you've got to contain it. That's the biggest problem, containing it. Because if you don't contain it, it just goes wild. And they don't know what it's liable to do. Now, folks, go check me out. Go check me out. I want you to. Go check me out this afternoon and see what it says about antimatter. And it'll say, yes, you better contain it. Because you don't know what it's liable to do. But they do know this. From what they've experienced so far, it has an effect on people. Dark matter has an effect on people. It causes some people to go screaming mad. It controls people. It is an, it is an enormously powerful thing. It's pulling something out of hell that you don't want any part to do with and turning it loose on mankind. Now, you know, I don't know that. <laughs> I don't ever been in agreement with an atheist before, but I'm in agreement with this one. <laughs> I and Mr. Hawking see it the same way. They better leave that stuff alone. The church is asleep. But the Lord's coming back. If I, were, if, I were, if I were 17, 18, 19 years old this morning, I'd be worried. I've lived 68 years. I'm ready to go meet the Lord. The Lord comes to get me. I'm gone. But you young people coming up and you want to start a family and have children, you know, you got all your life in front of you uh, by the grace of God. And to hear about something over here that they can produce one gram of it has the potential of four atomic bombs. Uh, countries are building up their armament and so forth. Well, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. And that war is soon to come. There's going to come an Armageddon. There's coming an apocalypse. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. I hope you are. I hope you're ready to meet the Lord. How close could we be to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? How close could we be? How close? The church is asleep. But the Lord's coming back. All right, a quote. All right. Uh. Hey. Okay. All right. So, you know, that's what we're uh, talking about, guys, what we're headed towards. Let's look at Revelation chapter 9. But you see, Jesus, when he tells us things, he tells us all these things for a reason. Now you see why he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because he's expecting his church to go through. 
His church is going to have to fight through some stuff, but he's given us everything that we need if we truly are in Jesus. The only people that need to worry about this are those who have not themselves over. But for those whom the Lord knows, who the Lord is working through, who the Lord is guiding and keeping, and, and, and they're allowing the Lord to, you know, work in their lives, these are the people that are going to make it in these days. Now, that brings new emphasis to putting on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand in the evil day. You know, uh, you know, Sister Sarah was telling me something. I don't even see it. So, oh, well. Well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Marvin the Martian mentioned it about the Hadron Collider. You had even on um, an old video game. Some of you guys might know if y'all were video game players around my age, but there was a game called Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden 1 and 2 talked about the opening of a portal and Shinobi and all this other stuff. So you see how the devil is once again trying to get everybody to one language and one speech. So what? They can all try and build this Tower of Babel, you may as well say, and fight against the Lord. This is what we're seeing all over again. So look at Revelation 9, guys. Revelation 9, we're going to look at verse 1. We are going to come up with a solution. We're not going to be just talking destruction the whole time, okay? We're just making points for the time being. So Revelation 9, look at verse 1. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So as you can see here, guys, a star itself is an angel. It's not always a star. It's an angel. How do we know this? Because he says he fell from heaven unto the earth and to him. So unto that star is a him was given a key to the bottomless pit. What is this? This is authority. Okay. This is he who leadeth until he be taken out of the way. So an angel is now given authority okay, to the bottomless pit. That word for a bottomless is abusos, and it's kind of like an abyss, okay? So that's G12. It's bottomless, unbounded, uh, the abyss, the pit, uh, the immeasurable depth uh, of Orcus, uh, a, a very deep gulf or chasm in the lowest parts of the earth used as the common replacement a receptacle of the dead and especially as the abode of demons. So that word for bottomless pit is the abyss. I think it was James Cameron or John Lucas, one of them, came out with a movie back in the days called The Abyss. But this is what they're talking about. So a key authority was given to the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So these are like locusts. That's what they call them. So you know that this can't be human beings. 
Okay, we know there's something wrong, and that's why I like what that man said. You're not going to find any locusts or any um, uh, human armies that are going to cause war, and they're going to keep the rest of the earth okay while they judge men. That's not going to happen. So he says, look at verse 4, and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So as you can see, there is going to be judgment on those who don't believe on Jesus Christ when this thing is open. When this thing is open, they're going to get it first, and they don't even know it. So it's making clear here, for those who have the seal of God in their foreheads will be okay. Now, that's not an implantable technology. That is the Holy Spirit. That's where we have the mind of Christ. That is to be governed by the Lord. And that's why the Bible tells us in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 that um, one thing standeth sure, having this seal, that the Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord does not want us involved in iniquity because if so, we're going to be subject to the demons. But anyway, he says, and to them, it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. So what we're looking at here, hey, brother Derek, but what we're looking at here is five months. You know, five is a number for grace. God will give us grace to get things right. So although it may seem man, awful, that these guys are getting tormented, this is God's grace other than destroying them. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses, prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. You know, Sister Sarah pointed out something to me, or I think it was her and Brother Martin, about three years ago in a Bible study. But this is what the characters of Avatar look like, except for the blue. They had faces like lions. They had hair that was long like women, and they were huge. But another a serious point is, is this that when it talks about that these locusts are in battle armor, like they're dressed like armies and they're going out to fight. You see, that's why everything has to go back to the word of God in Genesis 6. There was more that happened in Genesis 6 than men sleeping with men. They were the angels of God that came down to earth, made it with earth women and produced giants. How do I know this? Because even the Smithsonian files are covering up finding these giants in, in copper armor, dressed in battle array, you know, that will go out and fight wars and do different things. So what we're looking at here is, I believe these are the giants that are going to be coming out of portals from their holding places and are going to be waging war against the people of God. But it says that these guys have faces like men, all right, but they had, um, what does this say, unto horses prepared unto battle. Their shapes were like that, and on their heads, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were the faces of men, 
and they had hair like the hair of women, and they had teeth like lions. So these people are what you would consider like hybrids, satyrs. Look at verse eight. And they had, uh, oh, I read that, verse nine. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, as many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them. So notice over this army, there will be kings, okay? And then it says a king over them, which is um, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue have his name Apollyon. So what does Apollyon mean? Destroyer. Apollo. You know who else was named Apollo? Nimrod. So this is what we're looking at, guys. We're looking at the fact of the awakening. They're expecting out of the bottomless pit for this being to rise up. When it talks about him coming out of the sea, out of the earth, this is really interesting how he's going to come forward and he is the angel of the bottomless pit or the messenger, and his name is Apollyon, the god of destruction, okay? So this is what they're expecting to come forward out of this pit. And woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard the voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had uh, the trumpet, loose the four angels which were bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, one would have to ask the question, what angels are you talking about? What are four angels doing bound in the river Euphrates? And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. So that is like 200 million, okay, of these entities are going to come out. But we're going to focus on now, guys. I know that we're going to get into the Bible and everything else, but we need to focus on these four angels, okay? Because you see, there is a lot of people that believe that the book of Genesis was just fantasy. None of it was true. They're even so carnal-minded to believe that there was no way in the world that angels of heaven came down and made it with earth women in Genesis 6. So we're going to need more emphasis on this story. I promise you we're going to get back into the word. This is somewhat of a lengthy teaching, but I must bring forward these points. Look at verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire, and smoke, and brimstone. See, can you guys imagine? And it says, by these, by these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. So everybody here is probably familiar with the story of Genesis 6. So I want to take you to two places to show you 
that what the Bible says about this story is absolutely true. And then I've got to read something else before we go back into the scriptures. But I want us to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's go there real quick. 2 Peter chapter 2, for those who don't believe in the Genesis 6 story. This is 2 Peter 2, and let's look at uh, verse 4. It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So that sounds exactly like it goes along with Revelation 9, and we're going to see other things that bring forward this point. So some people could say, well, God's angels don't sin or angels don't have sex. They don't. But these angels, it makes clear in 2 Peter chapter 2, these angels sinned, okay? They did not do the right thing before God. Now let's go to Jude 1. Jude 1, and I'm going to look at verse 7. Jude 1, and actually verse 6. Jude 1 and verse 6, it says here, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So what is the great day? The day of judgment. You guys see it both here. And, and Jude and Peter referred to them as angels. Now, I know that Genesis 6 doesn't give us a lot of emphasis in explaining this, but we're going to go where it does. So let's go to the book of Enoch. Guys, you can follow along. If you Google book of Enoch, you're actually going to um, look up book of Enoch sacred text, and it should lead you to a link where you can read along with me. We're going to start in Enoch chapter 6, and you're going to find that it goes perfectly in line with Genesis 6 to show that there is validity in the book of Enoch. I must go here to show you what's actually happening and what we're looking forward to. Why are these things coming out? Why is all this destruction taking place? Okay, so I'm going to go to the book of Enoch, chapter 6, but look up um, sacred text, the book of Enoch, and it should pull up a link which will have an app that's going to lay out what I'm about to read. So you guys can read it for yourselves. I'm not calling the book of Enoch scripture. I'm just calling it a reference that the children of Israel would have known about. Now, how do I know this? Because in Hebrews or, or, or Jude chapter, um, Jude 1 and 14, it says that Enoch cometh with 10,000 of his saints. I mean, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Now, uh, Judas quoting this as if he knows Enoch. But if you look for that in the Bible, you're not going to find it anywhere except in the book of Enoch. Now, I'm not talking about the secrets of Enoch. I'm not talking about Enochian magic. That's some crazy stuff. I'm talking about the book of Enoch, which contains fragments from the book of Noah. I know a lot of church people are going to hate me for this, but the bottom line is I'm bringing forward the truth that people may have an understanding of what's going on and where we are. And we are going to come up with a solution. We're not going to do any teaching without putting the gospel in it. So don't think that I'm just running all over the place. Yes, it was, Sister Julia. She's absolutely right. 
the book of Enoch was studied by churches way back. So anyway, this is the book of Enoch. This is chapter six. And it says, and it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of heaven, of the heaven saw and lusted after them and said to one another, come, let us, um, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Simjaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear you will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered. They all answered him and said, let us all swear on oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all uh, 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the sermon of Mount, I mean, on the summit of Mount Hermon. Now I know some people would say, well, hey, they're mentioned in the days of Jared. Who was Jared? Jared was the father of Enoch. Okay, so the angels did not just come down when Noah was born. The angels had come down earlier, but they're still there. So the days of Noah, in many ways, are still the days of Jared and the days of Enoch. You don't think the angels just came down when Noah was born, and then they just said, okay, let's just build the ark and get out of here. No, these angels were reigning, and they were doing things. When they first came down, it was in the days of Jared, okay, who's the father of Enoch, grandfather of um, Methuselah, and um, great, great, great grandfather of Noah. But anyway, so it says they, they landed on Mount Hermon because they have sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And these are the names of their leaders. Simjaza, their leader, Arakiba, Rameel, Cocobel, Tamael, Rameel, Donnell, Ezekiel, Baraquiel, uh, Azael, Amaros, uh, Batarel, Ananel, Ezekiel, Sepsepiel. You guys get the point, but it says these are the chiefs of the tents. Okay, so this is when they ascended. So if you guys see in this link, if you look underneath where I just read, you can hit chapter seven, okay? So that's where we're going, chapter seven. And it says, and all the others together uh, with them took unto themselves wives and each chose for himself one. And they began to go into, I mean, go in unto them and to defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. So what were they doing? Probably teaching them how to make drugs, acquainting them with plants. You ever wonder what made a man, you know, feel like, man, if I just smoke this leaf, I can get high. Well, they learned from the angels, okay? All these things came to be from the fallen angels in this time, all right? And the cutting of roots, teaching them witchcraft. And they became pregnant. And they bear great giants whose height was 3,000 L's, who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. 
Now, some people could say, is there any biblical proof of giants eating people? All you've got to do is go to Numbers 13, Numbers 13, when they were trying to get into the land and what did it say about them? It said that the giants themselves, when they, when they had consumed all the resources of food, they ate the inhabitants thereof. So they were eating people is why they were even scared to go into the land of Israel. And they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Uh, then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. So what we understand here is they were probably committing bestiality. They were doing all sorts of filth. They were probably mixing and, um, and splicing genetics, you know, and changing things. The same things you see that they're doing today in their human genome projects and all this stuff. So now I'm going to go to chapter eight. You can hit that little link beneath. It'll take you to chapter eight. I promise, guys, I'm going somewhere. So it says, and Azazel uh, taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids. So Azazel taught them weapons, but he also taught them how to beautify the eyelids to make women attractive, which would lead men to sin. So now you know where all your makeup comes from. And it says, in all kinds of costly stones, why do you think men lust after diamonds and jewels? This is what the angels taught, in all coloring tinctures. And there arose much godlessness, and they committed fornication, and they were led astray, and became corrupt in all their ways. Simjaza taught enchantments and root cutting, Amoros the resolving of enchantments, Beriquiel taught astrology, Cocobel the constellations, Ezekiel the knowledge of the clouds, Arakiel the signs of the earth, Shamsael the signs of the sun, and Sarael the course of the moon. And as men perished, they cried and their cry went up to heaven. So the angels came down, took over, made life miserable for all the people there. And these people cried out unto God. Now let's look at chapter nine, right underneath. It says, and then Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel looked down from heaven and saw much of blood being shed upon the earth and all lawlessness being wrought upon the earth. And they said one to another, the earth made uh, without inhabitant cries the voice of their crying up to the gates of heaven. And now to you, the holy ones of heaven, the souls of men make their suit saying, bring our case before the most high. And they said to the, to the Lord of the ages, Lord of lords, God of gods, King of kings and God of the ages, uh, the throne of thy, of thy glory standeth unto all the generations of the ages, and thy name holy and glorious and blessed unto all the ages. It says, thou hast made all things, the power over all things uh, hast thou, and all things are naked and open in thy sight, and thou seest all things, and nothing can hide itself from thee. 
So this is why, guys, I don't really go against the Book of Enoch because that sounds exactly how you and I reference our God, how we speak about our Lord, that he sees all things. He's all powerful. He is all knowing. I am not standing by any means calling the Book of Enoch scripture. It was a reference that the children of Israel knew about that they would do the Lord, you know, that it would put emphasis on what's being said. So it says, thou seest what Azazel has done, who has taught all unrighteousness on earth and revealed the eternal secrets which were preserved in heaven, which men were striving to learn. So we understand here that these were secrets, eternal secrets that man had no business messing with or to know. But the angels themselves taught all these things. Now you got people uh, following astrology, their zodiac sign. You got people in witchcraft. You got people doing enchantments and all these different things because these were forbidden things that man was not supposed to deal in. Okay. And it says in Simjaza, to whom thou hast given authority to bear rule over his associates, and they have gone to the daughters of men upon the earth and have slept with the women and have defiled themselves and revealed to them all kinds of sins. And the women have borne giants and the whole earth uh, has thereby been filled with blood and unrighteousness. And now behold, the souls of those who have died are crying and making their suit to the gates of heaven and their lamentations have ascended and cannot cease because of the lawless deeds which are wrought on the earth, and thou knowest all things before they uh, come to pass. So, all right, so anyway, I'm gonna look at chapter 10, and then we're gonna get back into the scriptures for a couple of things, and then we're going to close, but I wanna bring forward this point. This is where you know what happened to those angels that went against God. So this is chapter 10, of the book of Enoch, we're going to look at the first verse. It says, Then said the Most High, the Holy Ghost, I mean, the Holy and Great, uh, one spake and sent Uriel to the son of Lamech and said unto him, Go to Noah and tell him in my name, hide thyself, and reveal to him the end of what is approaching, that the whole earth will be destroyed, and a deluge is about to come upon the whole earth and will destroy all that is on it. And now instruct him that he may escape and his seed may be preserved for all the generations of the world. And again, the Lord said to Raphael, bind Azazel hand and foot and cast him into the darkness uh, and make an opening in the desert, which is in Dudeo, and cast him therein and place upon him rough and jagged rocks and cover him with darkness and let him abide there forever and cover his face that he may not see light. And on the day of the great judgment, he shall be cast into the fire and heal the earth which the angels have corrupted and proclaim the healing of the earth that they may heal the plague and that all the children of men may not perish through all the secret things with, uh, that the watchers have disclosed and have taught their sons. And the whole earth uh, has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel to him, ascribed all sin. And to Gabriel said the Lord, 
proceed against the bastards and the reprobates and against the children of fornication and destroy the children of fornication and the children of the watchers. So the watchers themselves had children, that makes it clear, from among men and cause them to go forth, send them one against the other that they may destroy each other in battle for the length of days uh, shall they not have. Now this is even recorded in the Greek mythology where they speak of the clash of the titans. They spoke of giants that were in the earth in those days that were fighting against one another to destroy one another. This was a judgment that was set upon them that God would rid the earth of all this wickedness. All right, so anyway, uh, look at, let's skip down to verse 11. It says, and the Lord said unto Michael, go bind Simjaza and his associates who have united themselves with women so as to have defiled themselves with them in all their uncleanness. And when their sons have slain one another and they have seen the destruction of their beloved ones, bind them fast for 70 generations in the valley of the earth till the day of their judgment and of their consummation, till the judgment that is forever and ever is consummated. So as you can see, they are bound in the earth. So this is why the book of Enoch goes perfectly in line with the word of God that puts emphasis on all these things that are taking place, all right? So we're gonna get back into the scriptures, guys, because we need to make some points before we close. All right, we read Revelation 9 and all these different things, but this is just telling us that we need to really get our houses in order with the Lord. We really, really, truly do, because we've got some dark times coming upon us that we need to be ready for. So let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. And you see, when you hear things like this, guys, this is what makes you long for the Lord. This is what tells us, man, we need to get our houses in order that we may see Christ. Because you know what Charles Lawson said is true. The church is asleep. We don't even know what's coming upon us right now. And we think that we got all the time in the world to fool around. Guarantee you, when people heard me reading the book of Enoch or the book of Jasher, a lot of people tuned out. You know why? They believe that those are heretical books. Heretical or not, these things are coming to pass. And that's why Jesus told these people that they need to be able to discern the times and see where they are so that they don't get caught up in delusion or a snare. Because you see in that day, there was a deluge, which was a flood. Today, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2 to look out for the strong delusion. Man, we're going into a time that science fiction writers, man, wouldn't even be able to think about. So look at uh, Matthew 24 and look at verse 29. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven, which are the angels and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, 
and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven unto the other. Now learn the parable of the fig tree when his, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is not. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that, a day and hour, knoweth no man, nor not, uh, know not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. So that's why for those who have rocked themselves asleep with preterism, they don't understand that if we just read and got some detailed information on what the days of Noah were like, then Jesus Christ could not have come back yet. But as you can see, we're headed towards these things. The Roman army at that time in 70 AD and beyond, they did not have the technology to bring all to pass the book of Revelation and what the Lord is bringing forward today. So you know for a fact that it could not have been in that time. But if people wanna believe what they want, let them believe whatever they want. But the bottom line is being made clear here is Jesus Christ did not come back yet because all these things must be fulfilled. He says, and look at uh, verse 38, for as it was, for as in those days or in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. Now you see a lot of people are gonna say to themselves in this time, well, I got time to fool around and do what I want, but do you know what I think is gonna happen? And I think God is gonna let it happen is this. I believe that, you know, we're gonna go on and live our, our normal lives. Like you see how some of you right now are listening to me on YouTube. Some of you might've heard Pastor Price's message earlier in the day. You see how I'm sitting here and afterwards, I'm expecting to go get something to eat, right? But you see, it's going to be like, we're gonna be la, 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 you know, having a good time. Well, yeah, man, I'm hungry. And I'm gonna step outside and that collider may be open and, and everything breaks out. There may be troops at my door the moment I step outside. This isn't gonna come like where you can look at the news and say, okay, yeah, I think we're about to get ready. No, it's going to come by surprise. You're gonna wake up one morning and there's gonna be no money in your account. Okay, you're gonna have this country and all these things taking place at a time when no one will be aware of it. And that's why we must put our stock and our trust in Jesus Christ. We must live for him and be full of him so that the spirit of God can tell us when these things are coming to pass. Because when it says in Ephesians 6, you know, finally, my um, beloved brethren, be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That word is methodia, meaning like tricks or methods of the devil. This is what we're talking about. We should be wearing our armor. We should not be inviting things into our world that can put a chink in our armor and get us out of the good standing of God because these days are upon us and they will come to pass, but it's not gonna come at a time when you think everything is fine. It's going to come at a time. I mean, it's not gonna come when you got your guard up. It's just gonna happen on a random Tuesday, random Thursday. It's gonna be, you just get out of church and this stuff tips off. I even heard of one time the government talking about that they were gonna do this thing called Operation Yard Farming, where they were actually talking about that one day people are gonna go to church and they're gonna lock up all the doors and just destroy Christians. This is what I'm hearing. But a lot of people are gonna be, you know, in these places, having fun, doing what they wanna do. But you see, no man knows the day nor the hour. Yeah, we might be talking about the end times and all this stuff coming to pass, but when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail, that means that he gave you and I everything that we will need. And if we don't put our trust in Christ, we don't live for him, if we don't wear that armor for real and understand that we're at war, we are going to get caught and snared with the wiles of the devil. Because those who will be protected in those days are those who will have the seal of Christ. But for those who want to fool around and play games, they're going to find themselves being snared in these days. It's going to come upon you like a day unawares. I have articles that I want to read, but I'm not going to read them now. I'm actually going to put them in the description box because we're very short on time. I've actually should have done a part two to this, but you know what? Let's look for the solution because you see the Bible even talked about these days and what we can expect and how we can prepare. So let's go to Joel chapter two, guys, and I'm gonna conclude from there. Read Revelation 19 in your spare time, where the Lord is going to come back and destroy this earth. Read 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about death has no sting over a Christian. Read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, how we ought to be sanctified and put aside all wickedness and evil that we can get right with the Lord because that's what this is about. We've got to be prepared. Revelation 19 says that when the Lord comes, he's coming for his bride and it made clear that his bride hath made herself ready. I believe that's Revelation 19 and seven. The bride of Christ is faithful to Jesus and she makes herself ready. So no one can make you ready but you. You've got to spend time with the Lord, obey him, do what he tells you to do, be alert in these days. Don't be a fool because we've got things coming upon us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we must be aware. So let's go to Joel chapter two, and we're gonna close from here. Joel two, and we are done.
this is kind of like a three-part series. We're going to put more emphasis on this tomorrow. And then Sunday, I mean, or, or Tuesday, you're actually going to get the straight cut gospel with another message. Okay. So let's look at Joel 2, and we're going to begin at verse 1, because everything that we read tonight, guys, is all in this passage, including our solution, if we give it all to Jesus. Joel 2, and let's look at verse 1. And it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. So notice, they're talking about the day of the Lord coming. Now, before we get to the end of the day of the Lord, they're going to tell you everything that's going to happen just before the Lord comes. It says in verse 2, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong uh, and a strong, there have not been ever ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. It says, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as a garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. So we're understanding here that there's something coming on the earth that is saying that when these things come, nothing will be able to escape. Some people think that this is the army of the Lord, but I believe that this is the army in Revelation 9 that the Bible was talking about, about them coming forward just before the day of the Lord. Now, Joel 2 is broken up in sections because Joel 1 and 2, uh, verse 1 and 2, is about the coming of the Lord. The second one, uh, uh, verse 3 and following to 9 or 10, is about the armies that are coming upon the earth. And look at what they say about them. This is verse 3. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. So something is coming forward to destroy the earth. Now you remember these angels or these, these beasts were given commandment that they should not hurt the earth, but only the men, right? So it says before them was like a Garden of Eden, but behind them is desolation. So they're destroying everything in their path. Verse four says, the appearance of them is as the appearance of horses and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains, shall they leap like the noise of a flame uh, of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. You see how this lines up with Joel chapter, uh, I mean, with uh, Revelation nine. But, you know, you got guys like Steve Quayle and all the other brethren that are in this, that study this stuff, said that there will be a return of the giants. And that's why Steve Quayle talks so much about them, you know, and he brought up all these points because they are going to come back to a land that they're supposed to have or that they believe was theirs. And actually, guys, I'm not going to close with this. I'm sorry. 
I got one more thing that Sister Tara sent me. It was a short video that I meant to play earlier, but I want to make some points as we go into this. So I'm going to finish this, and then I'm going to play that video, and then I will close. But I must play this because what she brought forward was so significant, and it has everything to do with today. So it says here, uh, like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains, shall they leap like a noise, or like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face, the people shall be much pained. Uh, all faces shall gather blackness. Now, when it means gather blackness, this is a type of hopelessness or desolation. This is what they're going to do when they open that Hadron Collider. This is seven. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march everyone on his ways. And they shall not break ranks. Meaning what? They're all going to be fighting for the same. They're going to be destroying the earth and going against the people of God. It says, neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon their houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. Now, this is going back to the day of the Lord. So you guys wait in Joel chapter two. I've got to play this quick clip that Sister Tara sent me because it's going to bring it to more relevant because some people are going to say, well, it's not very relevant right now, but it's going to bring a lot of relevance to this that we can actually see why things are playing out like they are. It has all to do with the angels and these giants. Okay, so I want to uh, take care of this real quick. And um, let me play this. Yeah, Sister Sarah, you can get the light. I'm going to play this. This was so important. This is called Kanye and the Awaken 2020 Phoenix Rising Tour Exposed. So this actually started yesterday, Sister Tara said, in Arizona. So this is actually going to be exposed, but this is the uh, Kanye West and the Awakening Tour. This is the Phoenix Rising, okay? So these people are, are ushering in or getting ready for what is coming. Well, let me play this and get out of the way.
in three days or so from now, we'll on the 16th of January. And um, so it's what, a day away, I guess it is. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is what's being awakened is obviously not souls to Jesus Christ, right? What's awakening here is darkness, spirits from hell, an ancestral ancient spirits that once controlled this land, that once dominated this land. They, they want the land back. And because Americans have turned their back on God, for the most part, because this nation has turned completely from ugliness and will not repent. God is going to allow this nation to be overrun and be overtaken and subdued by the spirits that once dominated this land. Yes, this video here. I was seeing that word revival is something that happens to the church, to stir up the church. When I hear the word awakening, it is something that I experienced in the 70s. The 60s, it was turmoil, chaos, cultural revolution. And God answered that cultural revolution, that dark side of the 60s. With the Jesus movement, and in the 70s, everyone was getting saved. America meets another great awakening. We've seen a lot of things in the last 28 years. Stephen has been saying a lot of what I expect now. It's something beyond anything I've ever seen before I come to America because it's been prophesied for so many years and all the other things are coming. Thank you. 
including you. It's already there. Prepare. My God. And living close to nature, as many Indians do, they know that the world and the universe is not man-made. Like many Europeans, the Indian has been turned off by unconcerned Christians who seemingly did not care for the spiritual and material welfare. We must be shown that Christ died for his sin, not just for the white peoples of the world, and that Christ loves them, and that Christian believers love them as well. Jesus Christ was not a pagan. He was not a European. He was not a black man. He was not a yellow man. He was not a red or a brown man. He came from that part of the world that touches Asia and Africa and Europe. He belongs to all men. It must be demonstrated to the American Indian that the spirit of Jesus Christ can live in his heart and fulfill the deepest spiritual needs of his life. I realize. Oh, sorry, guys. One second. As if there exists in the United States 56 language forms of Aboriginal languages and about 200 dialects. And communicate the gospel to these people in their own tongue. And the spirit of Christ is the need of the hour. In our text in Romans 13, 11, the apostles said this, for now is our salvation nearer. My third point is challenging time. God is at work throughout the whole world. And it's being demonstrated that he is at work among the American Indians. Christ died for the red of the brown man as well as the white or the black or the yellow man. The very fact that you are here today is proof of the fact that God is working among you. The Bible has been translated into many of your languages and new translations are underway. English is only the trade language. Tribal languages are not only spoken, but I'm told that they're on the increase. And many Indians will listen more sympathetically and attentively to the gospel that's spoken in own native tongue. So God is preparing the Indian heart by giving him the word of God in the language. Many Indians with whom I've come in contact love to sing. The Kiowa, the Apache, and the Seminole have composed beautiful Indian hymns using words of scripture or testimony to their own Indian music. Lately, several Christian training schools have sprung up where Indians can receive an education for Christian service. Now, what does Billy Graham mean by their own music? This was at one of the awakening uh, crusades and one of the uh, awakening meetings, gatherings, in 
guys um, unfortunately it didn't it didn't work out um, sorry about that here's one of the problems that the speaker that I have was working and then all of a sudden it hasn't you can thank Satan for that one but the point is they're singing the wind of the spirit blowing okay now these people are expecting a different spirit to come over and to enlighten people and to take them over so as you can see, this is the spirit of Antichrist. This whole Kanye West tour and everything that they're pushing, all of this has to do with a great awakening. And this is what's coming to pass because they know that these giants are coming back. They know that these angels are gonna be released. This is everything that they're doing because they want to turn the church away from God to get everybody godless, everybody into their own culture and their own style, so that the devil can come in and do what he needs to do. And you see, this is what we're fighting against. This is why people will hate me for bringing a message like this. Because, you know, some people are just so caught up in what they believe is godly, when really God is trying to wake people up to the truth that they may be able to stand in the evil day. So I will put this video in the description box. But all of a sudden, my, uh, yeah, my, um, speaker just stopped working. So, you know, that's what the devil does. Pastor Price and those guys were attacked too with their equipment. You know, they had to go out and buy a brand new one because of what the, you know, we're, we're ruffling somebody's feathers. So I'm expecting them to come against it. And I'm sorry you guys didn't get to hear the rest of this. There was at least six more minutes to it with really important stuff. But the devil's trying to shut me down and, you know, things are coming in choppy and all this stuff. So you know, whenever you desire to bring the truth, there's the devil to try and put people back asleep. So from here, um, I'm just going to finish in Joel 2, and I'm going to close out from there. I know this is a lengthy teaching, and it was a lot of information to bring forward. So there's a lot of things I didn't get to get into. But look at this, guys, as a type of introduction, because the next two teachings are going to have everything to do with the Bible and what's really going on how the devil has gained ground, why are all these things coming to pass, and once again, how we can guard ourselves. So look at verse 11. This is Joel 2 and 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Then it says, therefore also, uh, now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So the Lord wants us to turn to him with all of our hearts, okay, with fasting and weeping and mourning. 
You see, because times are going to get so bad, and they just told you what these giants are going to do and all these, these armies. Times are going to get so bad that we are going to long for the appearance of Jesus Christ. So the Lord says, okay, with all that being said, with all coming to pass, come down with your heart, fasting, weeping, and mourning. He says, and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. So if we come to the Lord sincere, we come before him right, God is gracious and kind. He says, don't rend your garment, rend your heart, okay? Break up that stony heart, break up fallow ground, allow the Lord to get in through prayer, through fasting, through praise. These things will ignite the spirit of God in your life, okay? And will make you sensitive to the spirit of God. Then he says, who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. So this is the coming of the Lord. When the Lord is coming back for his bride, we better be on in line with the Lord. You see that? That we must get prepared. We must deny self. We must follow after Jesus if we even think we got a chance in this. So this is the coming of the Lord. Verse 17, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? So a lot of people are gonna be questioning, where is God? Why are we mourning? Why are we crying? Why are we seeking God? The minister in this case is supposed to be a sort of, um, inter he's supposed to intercede. See, if a minister is not praying for his congregation, then something is wrong. But our goal is to pray for people that God gives us time that we can win more souls into the kingdom. That's what our job is. The same job as Jesus, we are to mourn and lament and intercede for those people. Look at verse 18. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Why? Because we have taken that act to cry before the Lord, to recognize we don't like it here. We don't like sin. We want to be set free. We want to pursue the Lord. Okay? When we get to that place with him, then God will have pity upon his people and he'll be jealous over his land. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied, wherewith I will no more take you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east, or the east sea, and his hinder parts towards the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up 
and his ill savor shall come up because he have done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring for the tree beareth her fruit and the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause and he will cause to come down of for you the rain of the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. So what we must understand here is I know they're talking about Israel. I know they're talking about Babylon and all this other stuff, but we must understand even at the end times, the end army or the end system will be Babylon the great. Prophecy is dual. And this is where a lot of people get hung up. A lot of the things that happened then or happened in the day of Pentecost are going to happen again. The Bible makes clear that the latter house will be greater than the former house. In the last days, the Bible says, he's gonna pour out his spirit. So you know that you and I are still in the last days and we haven't seen the best that the Lord has to come. So he's making clear he's gonna give them the former and the latter. What's the former rain? For the growing of the crops. The latter rain will be for the maturing of the crops. Hey, Coach P, and this is just before the harvest, the latter rain comes. Now, you know that the Lord's harvest hasn't come yet because we're all still here. Read Revelation 14 in your spare time, which we're going to be reading about tomorrow, that has everything to do with the harvest and God pulling his people up. But it says in verse 24, and the floor shall be full of wheat and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. Now, what does it mean his great army that he sent among them? They're not his people, but they were sent for judgment because the people would not hearken unto the voice of the Lord. They went their own way, worshiped other gods, did their own things. So that army that we just read is going to fight against the people of God. That's why he said, my army. They're not his real army, but he sent them to judge the people because they would not come to the Lord. So then he says in verse 26, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that have dwelt wondrously or dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servant, the servants and upon their handmaids, uh, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, some people will point to, um, you know, uh, Acts chapter two, when Peter said, this is what Joel prophesied. This is absolutely true, but you gotta understand, 
that that prophecy was never fully fulfilled, not to its fullness. He gave out his spirit then, but there's gonna come a latter time that God is gonna pour out his spirit again because we have become a valley of dry bones. But God is gonna do the same thing that he did in Pentecost. He is going to send out his spirit once again to the faithful for those who are seeking him and desiring him. And he's gonna fill them with himself and he's gonna get a last push for the end times. What evidence have I of this? Because Samson himself in Judges 16 was a type of church. Samson had his hair, which was his anointing, and he did his thing. But at some point, Samson's hair was clipped. He lost his anointing because he fooled around with harlots, just like the church is doing today. But in the latter time, remember seven years later, that hair grew back, or I don't know how long it was, but anyway, his hair grew back and Samson began to have his anointing again and he was able to do one last push. And I believe that the Lord is gonna do this for today as well. He is going to once again pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he says, the old men will dream dreams and the young men will see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will shoot wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, you see? So it has not come yet. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So God is gonna give us one last push, but we must, have to, we must learn to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow after Jesus and press in hard for his spirit. Then he says in verse 32, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Uh, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said, and in the raiment whom the Lord shall call. So guys, this is what we're getting prepared for. Like I said, this is part one to the teaching I'm doing. Part two, tomorrow is gonna to put more emphasis on what we need to do and the harvest, where the attacks are coming from and how we can protect ourselves. And then day three, which is Tuesday, we're gonna get into the straight gospel, but we're gonna understand what it's about because um, uh, Tuesday is going to be for the gospel's sake. That's the name of the message, for the gospel's sake. Tomorrow night will be, let me see if I even remember it, because I write so many things down. But tomorrow night will be part two. It's going to be called An Instrument of Ten Strings. You guys don't want to miss that. It's going to be really important. And then uh, Tuesday is going to be called, um, what is Tuesday again? For the gospel's sake, okay? So um, I just want to say with that, guys, I love you. I'm not trying to scare you, but if it means that it will scare the devil out of you, then so be it. We need to draw into the Lord, get close with him, do what he says, and God will get his glory and his people in the last days, okay? So um, if anybody's late to this teaching, I suggest that you watch it over. There was a lot of information brought forward. Sister Tara's message is going to be brought forward. You know, um, it's gonna be in the uh, description box. 
where uh, you guys will be able to see the video as a whole, okay? Because they went out, my, my speaker went out. You can thank the devil for that, but I just want to say I love you. Give your life to the Lord while there is time, because as you can see, we've got dark days ahead, but we've got some bright ones too if we put our trust in the Lord. Also, how I close with any other teaching, I want people to get the organic gospel book. This proves that the gospel is organic. You can't try to be a Christian. You've got to do the mechanics of growing in the grace of the Lord, clinging close to Jesus and the spirit of God will fill you, make you fruitful that you can live for Christ. This is by Pastor Price and Sister Maisha Hunter. This book is 1395. You can get it at www.organicgospel.net or theorganicgospel.net. And this is uh, Coach P's book, Coach Poja, Jeremiah. Uh, this is the second edition of And They Overcame. This book is $7.99. You can get it on Lulu Books. For those who are struggling with sin and struggling with all sorts of things, it'll be good to see how other saints have overcome certain sins you may have trouble with so that you don't have to be a victim. You can overcome your circumstances by putting your trust in Christ. So it's $7.99 and you can get it on Lulu Books. So guys, you know, like I said, a lot of people are going to critique this teaching and they're gonna say, I didn't bring any salvation. Well, this is just a documentary. This is just the beginning of this three-part series. And this is only to awaken you to the realities of what is that you can push in and be strong with your God. So with that, we're gonna pray and I think we're gonna go out from there. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for another day not promised to us. We thank you for this time of sharing, and we thank you for the words, Lord, that you brought forward. And if I've said anything in error, I pray in Jesus' name that you show me that I might repent. But I pray, Lord, that even if it is the fear of the Lord that is brought forward to wake your people up, I pray, Lord, that you do so. I pray that you open their eyes. I pray that you open their hearts and their minds. I pray, Lord, that you get them in that place that you want them to be, that they may be ready to receive your spirit and get full. And I just pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters listening, that you put a fresh anointing upon them, that you strengthen them in your spirit, that you make known your purpose, that they may know what to do in you. So I just thank you for Pastor Price, Sister Barbara. I thank you for those who listen in and support this ministry as well as Omega Ministries. I pray, Lord, that you pour out funds that we may get a base camp, that we may do the mechanics of God, that we may have a place to operate from, that we may go out from, that we may wreak havoc in the devil's kingdom. And I just pray for all those brothers and sisters that are bringing your word, that are with you, Lord. I pray that you renew their strength because you say for them that wait on the Lord, they shall mount with the wings of eagles, Lord, and they will, they will overcome. So I just pray, Lord, and I ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm sorry to end this so short, guys, but this was a long teaching and, you know, we got things to do. But Sister Tara, Sister Melissa, Sister Julia, Sister Teresa in Texas, Brother Seth, uh, Brother Timotheus, Coach P, uh, who else? Was on tonight. Uh, uh, Brother Sal, uh, I said Sister Julia. 
Uh, who else? Uh, Brother Mark, I believe, was on. Brother Frederick, Sister Tatiana, Brother Derek, uh, Sister Naima, uh, Sister Nina. Uh, who else was on? Oh, quite a few people. I think I said Sister Teresa already. Um, someone else was on too. Sister Latoya was on and Brother Jeff. Okay, so if I missed anybody's name, I'm sorry. This was a late teaching, but this is part one of a series just to let you know what the plan of the devil is. Tomorrow night, we're going to cover uh, a, co a Brother Joseph was on tonight too. And yeah, we're going to talk about an instrument of 10 strings tomorrow and how significant that is. So I just want to say I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. If it's been a blessing to you, subscribe to the channel. But if not, you've got the free will right to do so. So I just want to say I love you all. And at least until tomorrow night, we're going to be airing at 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern time. So don't forsake your prayer closet. Spend time with the Lord. I love you all. Have a good night.